the things like making dinner for the kids, changing diapers, going to work and bringing home a paycheck. These are things that you have to do from necessity. If we didn't do them, we wouldn't be fulfilling our basic vocation to take care of each other and to take care of our family. And leisure, I would say, is when you have the ability to do enriching things that are beyond that everyday necessity. This is Brendan Hodge. By day, Brendan is a corporate data and pricing analyst. That means Brendan puts on a tie to go to work and he crunches numbers to make PowerPoints and graphs that help companies figure out how much they should charge for products. Brendan is also the father of seven children. He's a pretty busy guy. But after all of that, Brendan is also a novelist. And guess what? His wife is a novelist too. Kat and Brendan Hodge live in Ohio with their seven children. In many ways, life in the Hodge household continues in much the same way it did before the coronavirus pandemic. Schools in Ohio are closed, but Kat was already homeschooling. Brendan is working from home these days, but he's making it work. But both of them admit that something about this time feels, well, different. I think right now, the time feels endless. It seems like there's so much. I don't have to do it right now because I'll have some more time later. And there's there's an aimlessness and, and a worry to this time. It's unfocused. And I think that true leisure, which leisure sounds like relaxation, and it is, but it's it's within strictures. You know, we, we find freedom within guidelines, freedom within um within rules sometimes and within discipline. So right now there's this is an undisciplined time, it feels like, certainly at my house. And we've, we've seen the fruits of that, or the, I don't know, the bad fruits of that in, a, in crabbiness and temper and in a sluggishness and a lack of creativity. With the exception of doctors and other healthcare workers, most of us have a lot more free time these days even leisure time. Typically, we are so busy that leisure time feels like a foreign concept. But now that we have all of this time, maybe it's the right moment for us to learn what leisure is, how to use it well, and why we maybe should make it a priority all the time. This week on the program, we'll hear from a few people about leisure, what it is and why it matters. Princeton professor Robbie George talks about why he plays the banjo. Artist Katrina Harrington shares her plans to start a Mary Garden. A longtime Focus missionary talks about her new relationship with leisure, and a musician uses her leisure time to write personalized songs for people during the pandemic. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. Right now, our producer, Kate Oliveira, has more with Kat and Brendan Hodge. I was a theater major, so I didn't do a lot of writing when I was in college. Um, I didn't start writing much until my husband and I started our blog, oh gosh, 15 years ago now, maybe. And I found that I enjoyed it. And so maybe, maybe 10 years ago, I started writing fiction on a whim during a National Novel Writing Month. This is Kat, by the way. National Novel Writing Month is a virtual creative writing challenge that takes place during November each year. There's a website called NaNoWriMo where people challenge themselves to write 50,000 words of a novel in one month. 
as she was going through that process uh, where she was trying to write very fast for NaNoWriMo, we would end up talking a lot. And so she would she would come back from errands and say, hey, I was I was thinking about I was thinking about the novel and I'm thinking that maybe Paul has a daughter. What? What? No, no, no. I like Paul. Why does he have a daughter? Why, where did this come from? <laughs> and, um, and, and so we would end up sort of talking through and arguing about these different plot points and character points and conflicts and so on. I found that I enjoyed fiction and I, I could draw on my, uh, my theater background for descriptions of characters, for scene, for the way that people interact with each other and what they want and what they're trying to get from each other. I enjoy the aspect of crafting a story. The beginning, the middle, the end, the, the seeding little, um, little clues throughout a story or foreshadowing. I enjoy the way that people interact with each other and, and their motivations. It just kind of became, it became my hobby. Since then, Kat has self-published four novels and several short stories. And Kat's new hobby reignited her husband's own love for writing. Brendan wrote a lot of science fiction and fantasy growing up, but he took a break from writing in college. I started to become unsatisfied with the kind of writing that I was doing, and so I, I kind of consciously decided around the time that we got married to stop writing for a while and get more of a sense of life and human interaction and try to come back to it later when I, I felt like I understood people a bit more as opposed to understanding books. Today, Brendan is writing more contemporary novels, One is set to publish this fall through Ignatius Press. He's currently working on a historical novel set in World War I. I still have some science fiction fantasy writers that I I follow and read all their new books as they come out. And if I go back and reread Lord of the Rings uh, every couple of years because it's it's a book that's just really, really important to me. But as I came back to writing, what I found myself most interested in is... um, the moral decisions that people make when confronted with circumstances beyond their control, whether in sort of a very everyday setting, uh, like a family or like an office or in a very unusual setting, like the the cataclysm of a world war. I I felt like what you really want to write about is that kind of decision-making. Writing is a leisure activity for Kat and Brendan, and it comes sometimes at a real cost. But they say it's important life-giving even. So when one is working on a novel or short story, the other has to work overtime to take care of their children and their home. For us, it really relies on having the other person deal with kids being put to bed and being able to sit down and concentrate by like eight or nine o'clock at night and just work for three or four hours straight. We end up kind of doing it by fits and starts where one of us will be on project and the other one will be covering. And I don't think there's ever been a point when we were both working simultaneously. So it's a little bit of a feast and famine kind of process for us. You have to fight for your leisure time. Simply having everything canceled does not mean you spend more leisure time if you're not um, intentionally choosing moments to to select out of your day and 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 fight for them zealously and say, this is the time that I'm going to work. If you have a family, you need to ask, request, beg, implement some sort of system where you do have a little bit of alone time. Um, And that's difficult. I don't downplay the difficulties at all because, you know, your kids want you and need you. And sometimes it's hard to find any time until everybody's asleep. But ask your family for help. Please, you know, please let mommy write for a little bit. 
depending on how young the kids are, that's that's something that may be more or less of a struggle, but but it is worth it. And though they both find writing immensely rewarding, it is still, most times, exhausting. I guess that's the sense in which I would say it, it does become a feast or famine kind of thing for me in that uh, I can't maintain that level of concentration all the time. The best stretches I've had, I've maybe managed to keep it up for a couple months where I'm sitting down three or four nights a week and doing doing serious writing and I'll make a lot of progress. And at the end of that, I kind of need to give myself a vacation. So at, at a minimum, I would give myself, you know, two to four weeks where I just stopped writing and relaxed with the kids, watched a movie with them, you know, did things that didn't um, require that kind of intensive focus. But both said that writing and leisure are worth fighting for. God is creative. I mean, he we see his creative power all around us. And so it is worth it for humans to be creative and to to display just, you know, the merest fraction of God's creative power. And so it is good. It, it is good to create. It's good to work. And it's good to help other people work. Joseph Pieper has leisure as the basis of culture, um, which I know I read, gosh, I think maybe back in, in Franciscan's honors program. It's been a long time. But as I recall, one of the points that he made there that struck me as interesting is that is that leisure is not just laying around. Um, it, it's not just having time you spend on nothing. It's the ability to spend time on things that are not strictly for necessity. If you're feeling inspired to try your own hand at writing, Brendan had some advice. For starters, read good books. And then number two, to get past the fear that you're going to write something lousy, because you probably will the first time. In sports and things like that, there's a lot of, you know, you have to fail a certain number of times before you can get it right. That really, really applies to writing. And so if, if you have the desire to do that, I would say it, it, is, it is a great time. It's always a great time to go out there and fail well. And uh, what was it? Chesterton said that anything worth doing is worth doing badly. So give yourself the permission to do it badly and, and get something started. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Oliveira. On March 21st, at a time when anxiety of quarantine was settling in for much of the United States, comedian Steve Martin posted a video on Twitter of himself playing a tune on his banjo. He was wearing a, uh, uh, a baseball cap, uh, jacket, winter jacket, uh, casually dressed, sunglasses, and he played a lovely tune uh, on his banjo uh, outside among the trees. Steve Martin's video clip went viral, with over 30 million views and counting. He captioned it, Banjo Balm. The clip caught the attention of Princeton professor Robert George, one of the most respected Catholic intellectuals in the U.S. Professor George is himself also an accomplished bluegrass musician. 
So as soon as I saw that, I invited my wife, who's also working uh, uh, from home, uh, to step outside with me. I uh, put on a jacket like Steve Martin's jacket and a baseball cap like Steve Martin. Uh, and I uh, put on a pair of sunglasses. I don't think I've worn sunglasses for 25 years, but I found a pair. Uh, and uh, we went out among the trees. We live in a in a wooded section. We went out among the trees, and she, so she videoed me uh, uh, playing playing my banjo. Professor George posted his reply to Steve Martin's video with the caption, Two can play at that game. So I, I considered that sort of answering uh, Steve Martin's uh, implicit challenge to a banjo duel. <laughs> Dozens of people replied to Professor George's post, thanking him for the music and telling him that it made them smile. Banjo is a very cheering instrument. It's hard to be sad when you, uh, when you hear banjo music. So he thought, why not post a little banjo video every day? So I uh, decided I'd just uh, make it a daily thing, part of my daily routine to to dress up in my outfit and uh, put on my sunglasses and uh, and do a different banjo tune every day. For Professor George, bluegrass music isn't just a genre he enjoys. It's also part of his heritage. He's the grandson of West Virginia coal miners. Uh, I call it Appalachian classical music. I grew up in the hills of West Virginia, born and bred there, and uh, I grew up playing bluegrass music, banjo and guitar. Uh, I used to play a lot of banjo uh, when I was a boy, and I've kind of uh, kept it going through my adult life. The base of it all is in Earl Scruggs style, uh, what's called three-finger picking. Uh, but I've integrated elements of uh, many of the other great banjo uh, players of the past and present into my own style of playing. Professor George said he hopes his videos will help to inspire people confined to their homes to pick up their own instruments. You've had that guitar in the closet since uh, since the 60s or the 70s when you were a kid. Uh, but you haven't had it out in, uh, in ages. Well, get it out. It's a bit like riding a bicycle or swimming. You know, once you do it, you don't ever really forget it. Uh, learn a new thing. That's It doesn't have to be going back and recovering something old. There may be something you've always wanted to do, but never really thought you had time for it. Like, let's say, learning the piano. There are wonderful online lessons. Uh, this technology is a great blessing. It, it, it also has its downside, of course, technology. Uh, but it's also a great blessing. And among the blessings are musical lessons on just about every instrument you can, uh, any instrument you can imagine. As big an advocate for music as Professor George is, he also has other suggestions for ways people can spend their additional leisure time. And that was a wonderful opportunity for a reevaluation of things, thinking about what's what's really important and meaningful and and uh, and what isn't. Of course, I think it's also important for people to tend to their interior lives, their their spiritual lives. Very often we don't have as much time as we'd like for, for prayer, and maybe we just manage it at mealtimes and then on our knees at, at bedtime. Well, we're at home, there's an extra five minutes, an extra 10 minutes uh, in the course of a day. How about just some quiet prayer time? 
Or how about reading the Bible? We Catholics in particular don't read the Bible enough. Our evangelical Protestant friends can teach us something there. The Bible is a wonderful devotional uh, uh, tool, and, uh, and we should read the Bible, get to know the Bible. Here's an opportunity. We should look at this crisis we're going through, not only as a crisis, it is that, uh, not only for its dangers, it has many dangers, but also for the opportunities that it presents. Let's seize those opportunities. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. After the break, Katrina Harrington talks with us about Mary Gardens. Stay with us. get it. You read a lot of news. Uh, You read a lot of church news, and probably you want to talk about it. But probably not a lot of people want to nerd out with you about church news each week. But we do. If you want an inside Catholic conversation about the life of the church from a Catholic perspective, we're here for you with a podcast called CNA Editor's Desk. Every week, Ed and I sit down together to talk about the most important Catholic news of the week. We offer our analysis and opinions. And we talk about how the news even helps us in our call to become holy. And we play games because, yes, we are here to amuse you. So if you like Catholic News Agency's coverage of Catholic news around the world, you're going to love CNA Editor's Desk. Each week, we will break down the stories you want to talk about. If you're listening to CNA Newsroom right now on your phone's podcast app, Open that app right now and search for CNA Editor's Desk. Then hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode when it drops each and every Friday. And now, back to the episode. In 2014, Katrina Harrington taught herself how to paint with watercolors. Flowers were her favorite subject, even in those early days. A few years later, Katrina was looking for some inspiration. I was researching for my art, and I just have always loved hidden meanings. That's one of the things I love about Catholic churches. So in my art, I was trying to find some hidden meaning um, that I could add to it. She remembered hearing about a club back at the Catholic high school she attended years earlier, a club for Mary Gardens. For some reason, I was involved in basically every single club in my high school except for that one, (laughs) which is really funny now. Um, But anyway, I remembered hearing about that, and so I Googled Mary Gardens just thinking, "What, what was that club even about? Is there anything that I can learn from it? In her search, Katrina stumbled upon a rich Catholic tradition. Mary Gardens came into popularity in the Middle Ages. They were used in much the same way as stained glass windows, to teach the illiterate about God. You know, priests use stained glass windows to tell the stories of the Bible and to direct people toward the divine. Religious names for flowers did the same thing. People could be walking in the fields and they would see a marigold flower priests had named that Mary's gold. So then people could automatically think of Our Lady. 
And of course, when we think of Our Lady, she brings us to Christ. And it's not just marigolds. Dozens of flowers have connections to Mary or a tenet of the Catholic faith. Take columbines, for example. Columbines that are red can often be called the Pentecostal Holy Spirit flower because columbines, if you've ever seen them, kind of point upside down with petals that look almost like tails or tongues of fire pointing up. So they look like the Holy Spirit coming down at Pentecost upon the apostle's head, which I think is pretty cool. There's also a legend connecting columbines with the visitation. That everywhere Our Lady's shoes or her slippers touched, little white columbines sprouted out of the earth, marking her path. Um, So the other name for columbine would be Our Lady's shoes. Pansies are known as Our Lady's Delight. Sunflowers recall Mary's coronation as Queen of Heaven. And of course, roses also have a special connection to Our Lady. Our Lady is called the Mystical Rose. And also, when you hear about the beginnings of the rosary that was given to St. Dominic, you hear about different legends where as different saints prayed, roses would float up to Our Lady and she would gather them. Every time you pray a rosary, I tell my children, you are giving Our Lady a beautiful bouquet. We're giving our Blessed Mother a crown of flowers. Katrina poured over books about Mary Gardens and the Catholic symbolism of different flowers, and her research made its way into her artwork. She painted what she calls botanical rosaries, pairing flowers with each mystery of the rosary, gladiolus with the ascension because the flower resembles a ladder, a grapevine with the wedding feast at Cana, the purple passion flower with the crucifixion. It's really helped my faith and it's helped me to teach our faith to my children. Katrina lives in California with her husband and their five children. Here in California, there are lots of bougainvilleas, which are this really bright, pink fuchsia bush that has tons of flowers on it. They're gorgeous, very striking. The religious name for bougainvillea is Trinitaria, for Trinity, because in the middle of those flowers are three little white petals, and so that's surrounded by then the three pink petals, so for three, of course, for the Holy Trinity. When we walk by, I tell my children, oh, this is Trinitaria, what prayer should we pray? And they know that then we'll pray the glory be. For all of her research into Mary Gardens and the Catholic symbolism of different flowers, Katrina hasn't actually planted a Mary Garden of her own. But she told me she plans to start one while staying home to avoid the coronavirus. But I am not a master gardener or anything. My grandma always was. um, So it was always fascinating to visit her house and see her garden, my parents' garden. And I am just very much a novice. But I'm excited to try during this shelter-in-place, social distancing time. If you're interested in starting your own Mary Garden, Katrina recommends calling your local nursery or doing some research into flowers that grow natively in your area. Then, find a statue of Mary. Just pick three flowers or even one flower and plant them around Our Lady. And then after that, you know, then the next year, you can maybe do more. Maybe you can plant some bulbs in the fall so those will come up in the spring. 
But right now, I think you should just go do it, especially because we're all in our homes right now. If you don't have a good outdoor space, try a plant that doesn't need a lot of sunlight and can fit on a windowsill. You can even make your merry garden with herbs. Lots of herbs actually have um, religious names. Rosemary is an obvious one. Mary is in the name. But there's also a legend for lavender, which is called Our Lady's Drying Plants. The legend that goes with that is that when Our Lady was doing laundry for the Christ child, she laid his swaddling clothes upon the bush. And that's how they got their sweet heavenly scent. Katrina told me she hopes her tending of a merry garden and her painting will teach her children about the importance of leisure. For me, leisure, just putting a paintbrush to paper, it really energizes me. Even though I'm resting, it gives me energy for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. Of course, there are many days when I don't get any rest or leisure. There are many days where I choose the wrong type of leisure, but it is really important to me and I think once you get started in a really good habit and you start to see the fruits of rest, of fruits of leisure, that will just make you want to keep prioritizing that in your life. If you're interested in learning more about Mary Gardens, maybe even to start your own, check out the show notes for this week's episode. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Oliveira. Kat Janelle was nearing the end of her first year as a missionary with the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, or FOCUS. She loved her mission, her teammates, her students, but Kat was feeling burnt out. She didn't know if she could do it much longer. It's definitely an interesting schedule to keep because we are very much at the mercy of a student schedule. Um, and we, we want to be available, radically available is, uh, is what we strive for. You know, if you consider each missionary, you know, has probably anywhere from 10 to 20 students in their Bible studies, and then we're constantly doing outreach every week. Kat's regional director at the time shared a video of Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary in North Dakota, talking about Joseph Pieper's book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Kat said that video marked a real turning point in her life and in her approach to leisure. Essentially, the whole crux of it all is that we shouldn't be resting just so that we can go back to work, but actually the other way around. We should live our lives in a way in which we are constantly seeking eternal rest. And in the end, you know, we're made for eternal rest. And it's going to be pretty hard. I think this was a light bulb moment for me when we get to the gates and God offers us eternal rest and we don't know what rest is. I started to kind of shift my internal thought process about work and rest. Of course, Kat's habits didn't change overnight. But over time, she began carving a few hours out of each day to do something she found life-giving, something that would raise her mind to God. Whether that's like a workout or a book or a painting or a walk or whatever, whatever it is, not just to work, 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 and say it's for God's glory, because that actually can become very much for our own glory, but to actually um, work with the intention to rest. 
and not rest so that I can just go back and work. With time, Kat started noticing a difference in her life. There was just like a greater freedom. I noticed that I had more space to think, to process, which affects what I do, what I say, how irritable you are. Just those little human things start to be purified when we actually put our central point in the right place. Today, Kat is in her fourth year with Focus. She's team director at the University of Southern California. The school was one of the first in California to cancel classes in response to the coronavirus pandemic. They were canceled at first for, I believe, through like mid-April. And then, yeah, it was extended to all the way through the end of the year. But our students still are participating in their classes virtually. And we are still trying to just keep on keeping on. All of Kat and her team's outreach is now virtual. And honestly, they're really busy. Students have more time to talk and more to talk about. Kat said she has been encouraging her students and teammates to prioritize their faith. And this is a really good time to invest in our faith journey, right? So we're not going to get rest right if we don't get God right, because the point of it all is that relationship with God is eternal rest. What lifts our minds higher to God? What brings us life? Um, practically on a personal level, you know, you could you could do the simplest of things. Read a book, do a little workout in your house, take a walk. She also recommended finding some social leisure by starting a virtual book club or joining a virtual Bible study. My Bible study asked if I would lead like a virtual dance fitness class. I know one of my teammates is doing a virtual paint night with one of her students. Another one of my teammates is doing virtual chess. Um, so just get creative with how you interact with people. Kat said this pandemic could help a lot of people slow down and reprioritize. I do think that this is shifting the way our culture looks at rest because they're hopefully seeing the goodness of rest in so far that they're having an opportunity to get it. And um, yeah, they're looking at what's really important, what, what should be central in their lives. My team director, my first few years, he always used to ask me, like, what do you like to do? And I would always say, I don't know. <laughs> and this is a good time to actually ask that question in light of our faith. Like, what do I like to do? What's going to draw me closer, um, closer to God? For CNA Newsroom, I'm Mary Farrow. Hi, I am Francesca LaRosa Rohr, and I am from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I am a Catholic worship leader, singer-songwriter, and I love to write songs um, from scripture or um, to set prayers to music just to help people dive deeper into the Catholic faith and deeper into a relationship with the Lord. My dad's a musician and he would play at mass every single Saturday night. So that was just our family tradition. And he played guitar and my uncle played guitar. My aunt played bass. So it was my dream to be up there with my dad, um, helping with the worship. And um, I started playing at mass with him. Uh, I started playing piano with him when I was in third grade. And then pretty much ever since then, I've been singing at mass with my dad. Um, I studied music education and loved that, got into teaching and um, became a music director at my home parish. 
I was getting messages from my former students saying, hey, I really struggle with anxiety or I struggle with depression. So can you send me your piano music? I miss hearing you play at mass. I didn't even think people missed it, um, but I just decided to do some instrumental background music. It'll be music to help you pray or music like while you're working from home or working on your schoolwork. Um, so I just started with that and people really started liking it. Um, a lot of my students listen to it before they fall asleep. It just really makes them feel more peaceful just because most of my students struggle with anxiety. So it just started with that. And so I was like, well, let's open this up. Like, I don't need to write music about trees and nature anymore. Like, what if I open this up to the community and asked anyone who needed a song right now? Um, what if I wrote them a song? Hi, friends. I hope all of you have been staying safe and healthy um, during this absolutely tragic um, and horrible time. Um, I have been praying for you all. The whole IGTV video actually came from a conversation with my best friend. And she told me that her friend was going through a really hard time. And she said, Fran, I just wish there was something we could do for her. Um, could you write her a song? It's a really dark time. And I'm a firm believer that music can offer healing and music can give comfort. Um, and that music can lead us back to God. So if you... I put it up for a day and my inbox like on Instagram, on Facebook and my email just started exploding like, hey, my daughter-in-law is going through a hard time or like, hey, I'm experiencing a miscarriage or like, hey, my grandma just died. Just all these different stories of people struggling with this virus in different ways or isolation or loneliness and how music has brought about so much healing. So I've been writing each person a song. One person in particular, they decided to put the song, the recording on a CD, and they, I wrote a song for her mom, um, who is in isolation right now. She's feeling lonely, and I wrote a song for her mom. We put on a CD, and then she brought her mom flowers and um, left it on her doorstep. And it kind of was like a family experience where we got to like write her mom a song to let her know she's not alone. For me, what's crazy is when I play these songs, I just close my eyes and I pray for that person that requested the song. And while I'm playing for them and praying for them at the same time, um, I just like, I hear these little phrases like through the melody, like it might just be like, you're not alone. Like it, I can just hear the words come through and I kind of take that as the Lord's messages to them. So I always email them, hey, I kind of got this from the melody in the chorus. I don't know if you hear that, but that was what I was feeling when I was praying for you. and. For a lot of these people, they're like, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. I love, I love art and I love that, um, like the Lord has so many different gifts, like whether it's he wants to give someone an act of service or um, the gift of love or the gift of comfort or the gift of sympathy. For me, he gave me the gift of music. I'm just so grateful and um, it's just been a great way to praise the Lord and get to know Him more and get to know His people.
Well, guys, I hope that if you have more time, you find a way to use it with fruitful and life-giving leisure. We can all watch a few more episodes of The Tiger King, but after a while, we have to ask if that is helping us to grow as people, to get closer to God, or just to be happier. Anyway, I'll talk to you next week. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host and CNA Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Oliveira and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. And guys, if you decide to start writing fiction or playing the banjo or growing a merry garden, wash your hands first. Talk to you later.